Need to pray for that young lady. She, she's got a Michigan State sweatshirt on, okay? <laughs> We're in Grand Rapids, and there's a, it's a, what do I say? It's not a rougher part of town, but just not... It's not the ritzy East Grand Rapids where Gerald Ford grew up, and and uh, there was a big black fella in there, and he had a Michigan ball cap on, and he looked pretty rough, and he wasn't having a real good day, a lot like some of you today. And um, <laughs> but he had a Michigan hat on, so as I walked by him at the cash register, I said, "Go blue," and he he looked, smiled, and go blue. So well, you know, there's more than one way to break the ice. Shelby, go, go, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead and shut that library door too if you would. Seems to have like a little extraneous noise today. It's good to see you all this morning. You know, we got some visitors, I'm assuming in town for the 4th of July. But we're glad you're here. Glad to see each one of you. See some familiar visitors' faces. What's he waiting for? I remember one of the things PR told me, because before I came here, I was an assistant pastor, so I didn't preach every Sunday. I got to preach once a month, maybe. And he says, when when you stop getting the knot in your stomach, when you get up to preach, he said, that's not a good sign. That means you're getting too comfortable, too familiar with it. I am not comfortable at all today, folks, <laughs> just to tell you that. I don't know why, but um, PR would be pleased as punch. <laughs> oh, man. I'm glad you're here. Let's pray. Father, we want to exalt your name. We want to praise Jesus today. Father, speak through me. May your word be given. And may your Holy Spirit open our eyes and give us understanding. And as well, give us a kick in the seat of the pants. To wake us up. We've sat still far too long. And unfortunately we're reaping what we sow. But it's a principle that your word tells us is what's going to happen. Father, wake us up. Knock us upside the head. Whatever it takes. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Didn't think Acts was going to be this tough. It's probably not Acts. It's probably that paper I shared with you. 
still just wrecks me. Acts chapter 8, we're still there. Um, hopefully today we'll get through it. We'll finish it. It's 40 verses, so I think it's taken about, what, three or four Sundays? Last week we covered that gap that we had skipped the week before, verses 14 to 17, talking about how Peter and John came down, or came up, yeah, came up from Jerusalem. I don't know what the elevation was, but they went north, so I'd say up. They went north to Samaria because Philip was there preaching the word. And if you look in, in uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. He didn't talk about politics. He didn't complain about the Sadducees or the Pharisees. It's a waste of time. He preached Jesus to them. And what happened? Right across uh, verse 6. That's verse 6, verse 12. When they believed Philip preached about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Remember, he had to deal with Simon and the sorcerer. But the people saw right through him. When the truth was presented, they realized that Simon was a fake. He was a sham. That Philip was preaching the truth. And that was real. And that was what they needed. So when you preach the word of Jesus, they will hear. They will listen. They will be willing to be followers of Jesus. And last week, specifically 14 through 17, again, the word of God came down. So they, they, they heard that the word had reached Samaria. They sent them Peter and John, came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. They began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked to those that believe that you have to be baptized to receive the Spirit. Well, if that's the case, we'll, we'll find out that, um, that that isn't the case because here, right here in Samaria, the people were believing and they were being baptized, but the Holy Spirit hadn't come upon them. And we talked about that last week as to why that happened. And, and the basic fundamental purpose was, was that it was necessary for the apostles to leave Jerusalem and come and lay their hands on. And it was the way that God set it up so that the people in Jerusalem and the people in Samaria would see that we are to be one in Jesus Christ. That it wasn't to be, remember the, the, the Samaritans had their own uh, altar and place to sacrifice on Mount Gerizim. And they, they didn't go down to Jerusalem because they didn't really care for the high priest. Because of just the, the bad stuff that went back and forth over the years. So God wanted the people to see, he wanted the Jews in Jerusalem to see, he wanted the, 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 the mixed breeds of the Samaritans to see and understand that they were to be of the same church, of the, of the same body of Christ. And so it was just a way of uniting them and, and for, for Peter and John to go up and see actually what needed to happen. And I, and I missed verse 25 at the end of last week, so look there if you would, Acts 8, 25. And so when they had solemnly testified, and spoke, Peter and John, and, te- and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. They didn't waste their time on the way back. 
They made good use of the mileage on their donkeys or sandals or however they were transported. They took every opportunity they had to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today we, we take it up in, in verse 26. Let me look at my notes here. Make sure I'm not missing anything too big. Oh, yeah. Okay, this is what I'm supposed to start with. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus Christ. To proclaim Jesus. And we talked that we had two statements about what Christ fulfilled. Help me fill in the blank at the end. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Thank you. And Jesus came to fulfill the Temple, good. All right. After you heard the first one, you woke up and everybody got the second one. Okay. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law and Jesus Christ came to fulfill the temple. Remember that as, as we go through Acts, it just, you just see it over and over again where, where some of the, the, uh, the old school, the Sanhedrin, the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they, they, they wanted to stay where they were. We've always done it this way. We're not going to change. We don't need to change. Why change? It worked, been working for us. Well, they needed to change because Jesus Christ came. And he changed the whole game. He changed the whole way that, that it was going down, that it was going to happen. All right? Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. We'll get, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get to that later. We talked last week, we mentioned too, that there needed to be less and less of me and more and more of God. And when there's less of me and more of God, then there's more room in my life for the Holy Spirit to fill and work through me. Less of me, more of God. We talked, boy, I'm glad I went back to my notes. I need to look at my notes. Um, at the moment of salvation, we receive all the Holy, all of the Holy Spirit. We don't just receive just a little bit. Maybe a little later, we'll get a little bit more. We receive the Holy Spirit. He seals our salvation. He's our comforter. He comes along. He empowers us. It's what, what we do, we do in His power, in the name of Jesus, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing that we can do ourselves. Okay. New material. Verse 26, Acts 8, 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Thank you. What is this? I thought it'd be, I thought it'd look bigger, but I'll point for it. I like maps. It helps me put things in, in order. Okay? Right in this area here is Jerusalem. And he's coming down here to Gaza. Okay, that's the, the, one of the southernmost Philistine cities. But he's, he's going to go down to Gaza to, uh, we'll find out. But he's going to go down because he was told by the angel of the Lord to go down. So Philip, we find, is, is a humble man because he's willing to take instructions. And he's obedient because he, he followed them. Verse 27, he arose and he went. He didn't have a discussion, but but Lord, the, the, the ministry here in Samaria is going really good. We're, we're having a lot of men and women being baptized. People are hearing and, and accepting the truth. Why, why, why are you dragging me from here? Things are going so good. No, we don't see any of that. 
He, he, he submits himself to God, and he, he's, he's a humble servant. And he says, he, he, he didn't say anything. <laughs> he got up and he went. He did exactly what he was told to do. He arose and he went. Behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. There's, there's a lot right there. He was, he was an Ethiopian. Uh, okay, we say that we were all descendants from Adam and Eve. But if you remember the, the flood, and it, it got pretty small. The, the human race got pretty small there again for a little bit. And then the, the three sons that, that Noah and his wife had, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, okay? Ham, is, his family is, is the descendants of the Cushites or that part of North Africa, the Ethiopians, Okay, this man was a eunuch uh, who who worked in the court and worked closely with Candace the queen. Now, Candace is is a what's the way to put it? Uh, I, I guess di- dynasty or di- it's the the royalty position title almost. It's not a specific name. Candace's real name might have been Susie or Barb or whatever. Okay, but Candace is, it refers to a position, not to a, a specific person. And, and so, if you were the king, and you were to have somebody work closely with your queen on her finances, um, that's one of the reasons that, that they had eunuchs in that position, because then they weren't too concerned that, that things that shouldn't happen between an unmarried man and a woman weren't going to happen, okay? That was just another way to ensure that. Uh, so these these eunuchs were put in positions uh, like this. He was obvious, obviously skilled. He was trained. He was good with finances. He was good with the money. Um, otherwise, the, the queen wouldn't have entrusted her with the, the treasure. Sec, you know, we say secretary of treasury or whatever, okay? Um, he, was, he was not a Gentile. If if he he in in uh, Acts ten and eleven, Peter when Peter goes and preaches to Cornelius, he's talking about uh, Cornelius is the first Gentile believer. So we're going to back it up a little bit to here to say that the the Ethiopian eunuch was was not a Gentile. So he's he's a Jew either by birth or by be, being a proselyte to the to the Jewish religion. Okay. If, if he was by birth, and, and most biblical scholars don't believe that he was Jewish by birth, um, his parents would have been in that part of the world because of the dispersion, not because of the persecution that we saw happening in chapter 6 and when, when they dispersed the church, okay? This was the Jewish dispersion either through the, Babylon, the Assyrians in 722 or the Babylonians in 586, and they came in and they carried off the Jews and they, they were just spread all scattered all over the world. James talks uh, to the church, to the Jews scattered. And, and those are the ones he's talking to is not the Jews that were scattered because of the persecution after Pentecost there. But they were scattered because of their disobedience to God. They were pushed away from the land because they worshiped other idols. They worshipped idols that were dead. 
They, they worship, I don't even want to like to use the word gods. They were pieces of wood and stone and rock, okay? And because of that, God brought judgment on them and scattered them across the world. So if, if our Ethiopian eunuch fellow here was, was a Jew by birth, um, it would have been to parents of the, of the dispersion. But most scholars believe that he was, he was a Jew by, um, shall we say, switching religions? By becoming a proselyte, by, by doing the things of the law, doing the things that he could do. Now in Deuteronomy, is it chapter, I want to say 23. Yeah, Deuteronomy 23.1 prevents eunuchs from entering the temple. They just were not allowed to enter the temple. That was one of the laws God made under, under the Old Testament law, that, that they were not allowed in. So we know that this, this fella, uh, he, he had come to Jerusalem to worship, most likely on, on one of the annual feasts, um, which, which shows that if, if he wasn't a Jew by birth, but he was by, um, by becoming a proselyte to the Jewish, to Judaism, there we go, to the Jewish faith, that, that he was obviously devoted because he's making quite a trip up from Ethiopia to Jerusalem at a, at a, at a uh, annual feast time to come and worship there, even though he knows if he goes all that way, he can go to the temple, but he can't go in the temple. So he's, he's obviously dedicated uh, to, the, to the Jewish faith uh, that he has received uh, through testimony of some of the Jewish people uh, from the dispersion. So... Uh, back to the word here, he says, uh, the court official Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of all her treasure, he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his carriage and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, this guy was something back in, in Ethiopia. I mean, he was pretty high up position, respected position. But we, we see God working in two ways here. The first is that he was able to get his hands on the copy of the book of Isaiah. So he was obviously a man of wealth, that, that he could purchase that and, and uh, have that in his hands. It's, it's interesting that, that he wanted to have the word of God, what, what was there. He wanted to be able to read it, to learn, to understand. So the first thing was that, that he was able to come across the copy. I mean, it wasn't like he could run down to Zondervan's or Baker Bookhouse and just pull any, you know, any one of 38 versions off the wall there. And No. He had, to, he had to get that through the temple. So, so he, he had a desire, and he had the means to do it, and he used his means to get the Word of God into his hands. The second thing we see is that God provided for him a teacher in Philip. Why? Because Philip arose and went. He didn't sit and argue. He heard the word from the angel. The angel said, go down here. And Philip got up and went. He was, uh, he was obedient during the word. And, and, you know, as we see here, his, his method's changing a little bit. In Samaria, he was involved in mass evangelism. And here he's going to go to personal evangelism one-on-one. The method changed, but the message didn't. The message remained Jesus. Verse 28 He was returning and sitting in his carriage and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this carriage. 
And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah. Boy, Philip must have been in shape because, I mean, he just, it's like he's running alongside this carriage long enough to hear that this guy's reading the book of Isaiah, okay? Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And the Ethiopian said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Now let's stand by just for a moment here. Check my notes again, make sure I'm hitting the high points. No, we're there. We got him. Good. God's providence. He has a copy of the word, and now he has somebody to teach him what's going on. Turn in God's words with me, if you would, to Isaiah 53. I'm going to read the entire chapter of Isaiah 53. No, it doesn't have 70 verses. It only has 15. But I want you, I'm going to give you just a quick outline. Verses 1 and 2 talk about the birth of the Savior. Verse 3, the life and ministry. Verse 4 through 9, the substitutionary death. And verses 10 through 12, the victorious resurrection. Hopefully, that'll, I know that was kind of fast, but that'll just kind of give you a picture of, of what we're going to read here. Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely... Our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge of the righteous one, my servant will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. 
that he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Now, just briefly, verses 4 through 9, talking about the substitutionary death. All through the Old Testament, we, we see that there was shedding of blood for Adam and Eve. God had to kill some animals to make garments for them when they sinned and realized they were naked. For Isaac, his father was to take him and to sacrifice him on the altar. And God provided the ram so that Abraham would not have to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. Well, you want to talk about a test of faith there. The Passover, when the the Israelites were getting ready to leave Egypt, they were to put blood on the doorposts and over the top. And then the death angel would pass over. They, they, They were required to do that every year in remembrance of what happened and, and how they were freed from, from Egypt, how, how God provided for them. But it, it always required blood to be shed. And then, of course, Christ shedding his blood for us finished it once and for all. They, they, they didn't have to do that anymore because the perfect lamb sacrificed on the cross for you and I. This is what... This is what this man is reading in Isaiah and, and seeing, and, and he wants to know, is, is this, this author writing about himself, or, or is he writing about somebody else? And he needs to understand that, and, and Philip is there and comes alongside to explain it to him. Um, for the sake of time, if those that want to dig further this week, if you've got a pen and you're writing some notes down, uh, verse 4 um, Look up 1 Peter 2.24 and for verse 7 of, of Isaiah chapter 53. For verse 7, look up Matthew 26, 62 to 63. Verse 9, look up Matthew 27, verses 57 to 60. And then for verse 12, on the victorious resurrection, look up Luke 23. Luke 23, verses 34 to 37. It'll give you some insight in the New Testament compared to the Old Testament to, to verify that the, what was said there is what happened. Okay, God is always good about keeping his word. What he says he will do, he does. He, he never leaves it short. And he'll never leave us or forsake us. He he won't. No matter how sad we are, how bad the day is, how much pain we're in, he will never leave us or forsake us. Back to Acts chapter 8. And and we just caught a glimpse. I'll, I'll read again here the verses 32 and 33. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip, and he said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, 
He preached Jesus to him. He preached Jesus. Oh, that sounds familiar. He, 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 he did the same thing in Samaria back in verse 5. He began proclaiming Christ to them. Okay? From mass evangelism to personal evangelism, the message is the same. The message is Jesus Christ. As they went along the road, verse 36, as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Well, that was obviously part of the Jesus story that Philip was sharing with him. Was that after salvation, once we acknowledge and accept that Jesus is the Christ and he is the way of salvation, he is the only way of salvation. That in obedience, there's nothing magical in the water. You don't have to be baptized to get the Holy Spirit, okay? But to be baptized in water, and we, we signify the death of Christ and then the resurrection when we bring him out of the water. That's why we baptize. You, you don't quite get the same picture if you just splash a little water on somebody or if you get your hand in the water and do that to you. It, it, it just doesn't have the same picture. You're buried with the, the death of Christ and you're raised in his resurrection. Philip evidently was a good teacher, and the Ethiopian was a good listener. Don't forget, the Holy Spirit was at work too, okay? As they went along the road, they came to some water. Verse 37, Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You can either flip, hold your finger and axe there. You can either flip with me or just listen. Matthew 16, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Matthew chapter 16. Okay, I know 16's there. There we go. In verse 13, Jesus came to the district of Caesarea. And I've learned how to say that now. It's not Caesarea. It's Caesarea. Caesarea. Caesarea, yeah. Okay, anyhow... <laughs> um, sorry, that was really silly to throw my thought off on that. Uh, he began asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. As we, we looked last week, he says, uh, verse 19, Jesus said to him, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And that Peter was involved in the, the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Peter was there. And then he was there with Peter and John in Samaria, and they prayed and laid their hands on him, to, and, and they received the Holy Spirit. And we'll see Peter again being there when the Holy Spirit comes to the Gentiles with Cornelius and his family in chapters 10 and 11. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Ethiopian says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And it just, just immediately brought me, since we talked about it last week, Peter saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there's that belief there. This is the belief that, remember, Simon didn't have. 
Simon the sorcerer. He, he believed that he could make money off of this gift if he could buy the Holy Spirit and put his hands on people and give them the Holy Spirit. He believed that he could get rich off it. The Ethiopian believed in his heart and he knew that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, in any of your translations, verse 37, are there like brackets at the beginning and the end of that verse? Okay? The very earliest of manuscripts do not have that verse in them. But about 40, by 40 years later, the beginning of the second century, all the manuscripts had this in it, and they believed that it was part of the, the um, shall we say, catechism, that, that it was a requirement uh, for, for people to say and, that, that they believe that Jesus is the Christ, that they wanted to arrest it, and it may have been directly as a result of Simon and the games that he played, but they wanted very directly to make sure that the people understood that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. So even though this wasn't in the oldest, there, there's just a couple decades there, actually probably three or four decades between the writing of Acts and the, and the next manuscripts that, that they have on record uh, of early early 100s uh, A.D. that, that uh, include this in it. And several of the commentators said, they they don't they didn't have a problem with the the original King James people in the fifteen hundreds fourteen fifteen fifteen hundreds um, putting that in there because there's nothing in there that contradicts anything else in Scripture and it was just something that that made us helped us to understand and realize that the Ethiopian knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and of course Philip says yeah. <laughs> Nothing to keep you from being baptized. So he ordered the carriage to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. So as they, they come, out, come up out of the water, the Holy Spirit whisks Philip away. Where did he take him to? Glad you asked. That's why I have the map. It was down here in Gaza, this is where he connected with the Ethiopian, and now he's heading out to Ashdod, which was uh, another Philistine city, and from there he wanders his way up to Caesarea. Well, that just, that just makes me think of Pepsi, or pizza, I can't help it. <laughs> Pepsi and pizza, they go together. Okay, he's up here to Caesarea. And that's where, that's where we're going to connect back up with Philip again when we get to Acts chapter 21. But the Holy Spirit moved, and he took him. We, we, we're, you know, there's a lot of speculation. Uh, you know, that, that was a supersonic flight or something like that. But Philip was with the Ethiopian. But the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. And I just think that's kind of cool, because if, if put yourself in the shoes of the Ethiopian there for a minute. This guy's in the water with you. He baptizes you, and you, and you come up out of the water. He's gone. He's just gone. That didn't even faze the Ethiopian, because he had faith in Jesus Christ. He had faith in Jesus. 
And he went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself at Azotus, which is the same as Ashdod there, the next city up the coast uh, in the Philistine area. And he passed through. He kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. As an evangelist, we see that if, if, if you want a list of things that a good evangelist is, he's obedient, he takes it to all, he's, he doesn't have any biased or, or uh, prejudiced ideas against people, he takes the gospel to everyone because he knows that everyone needs Jesus. He had an enthusiasm because it was out of the abundance of his heart. In, in, I'm going to pose this to you, and, and people say, careful, preacher, you're getting close to stepping on toes. Well, I hope so. Is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If we are not sharing Jesus Christ, is Jesus in your heart? You should not but be able to help yourself to share and talk about Jesus. The thought of embarrassment should never even cross your mind. Because Jesus died for you. He died for us. So I want to stomp on your toes and put it to you. If you're not sharing Jesus, is he in your heart? If he's not coming out of your mouth, what's coming out of your mouth? What's in your heart? Philip knew the word. He knew how to love like Christ. He knew how to yield to the Holy Spirit. And again, his methods changed from the the masses in Samaria to the personal evangelism with the Ethiopian, but the message never changed. He preached Jesus to him. The good news is Jesus. The great plan of salvation is Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law, and Jesus fulfilled the Amen. I'm going to give you these verses. Write them down if you want to go a little deeper this week. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Preach the Word. 2 Timothy 4-2. Preach the Word. 2 Corinthians 5-17. We are new creations. We're new creatures in Jesus. Romans 10, 9-10. And 17. Write these down too. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 42 1. In whom my soul should delight. Romans 14 7. There is joy in the Holy Spirit. That's why I wonder when you come in here and you're not smiling. I, I know we have rough weeks, we have physical pains and ailments, we have emotional stuff that we're dealing with and processing. I, I understand that. None of us can have a smile 24-7. But there is joy in the Holy Spirit. There is joy in Jesus. And and that needs to be what's coming out of our heart. Because what's in our heart is what comes out here. Go back to, to Paul Tripp. It's funny, there's a Getty conference coming up, and this is where we first heard Paul Tripp say this in person. And they actually have a video that they're, that they're putting out there as part of this year's advertisement because Paul's coming back for the Getty's conference. 
but your song's heart is the soundtrack for your life. What song, when you're, when you're just going about your business, you're going to the bank, or even at work, or you wake up in the middle of the night, what song, what song is there? What song comes to mind? I pray, I pray that it's a song that exalts and worships Jesus Christ. I don't care about the top 40 and whatever chart, the rock and roll chart, the rhythm and blues, the classic, the country chart, whatever chart. I I don't think I'd probably be exaggerating if I said 99.9% of those songs don't glorify Jesus Christ. So what's the song of your heart? What, what, what are we meditating on? What are we thinking on? Father, thank you for Philip and his being an obedient evangelist. That he preached Jesus. And when he did that, the Holy Spirit worked in the Ethiopian and he wanted to be baptized. He wanted to be obedient immediately. And thank you for the joy that Jesus brings into our hearts. Thank you for the joy that the Holy Spirit gives us, that we should be rejoicing in him. Father, help us to do that. Help us to live that. Help us to be that. And that the song of our heart would be praise to you, Jesus. That it would be a sweet-smelling savor to you that it would exalt and lift Jesus up. Father, thank you for music. But give us music that worships you. Thank you for your word, Father. And we do thank you for our country. And we do pray that you would change hearts. But help us to do our job in telling about Jesus as well. They can't hear unless someone tells them. Father, we love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.